Dermot Doyle is an award-winning filmmaker, writer, director, and producer. I first met Dermot almost 20 years ago when I responded to an ad he had posted in the Irish Film Centre looking for an actor to play the lead role in a film called Hill 16. He planned to write, direct, produce, and edit the film himself. Two years later, the film premiere at the Galway Film Flat went on to receive numerous awards around the world, including Best Feature at Michael Moore's Flint Michigan Film Festival, the Audience Award at the Cherbourg British and Irish Film Festival in France, and would go on to air on multiple TV channels across Europe and screen in many different languages. It was eventually acquired by HBO Europe in 2007. Today we're going to talk about that journey, the sheer scale of the ambition, what followed, mental health, and lessons learned. Dermot, welcome. Well, hi, Connor. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me along. Delighted that you're here. Good, good to so see you. So let's, let's start from the beginning. Where are you yeah. from? Where did you grow up? Yeah, um, I grew up in uh, Le Leafy Castle Lock in um, uh, North Dublin. And to this day, I'm still here. Um, Kind of boomeranged around the world, and uh, yeah, Castlenock, and um, but very much my my, my um, school life was in Dublin city centre, North inner city centre. Um, so I'm very much kind of um, a Dublin person, not the uh, what people would kind of uh, think of as in Castlenock and Castlenock College, and you know that privileged kind of background, anything but. Uh, it was more a case of I went to school in 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 um, in, in Clonshawera in mm. Parnell Square uh, for all pretty much you know both primary and secondary, and that was a massive part of my my upbringing and my kind of makeup even to this day. Um, so uh, feel a little bit more worldly <laughs> than just Castlenock, but yeah, Castlenock's where I'm from and love the place. Hence me, hence me moving back here even even just this year. How would you describe your childhood? Um, my childhood was um, intro uh, introverted. <laughs> Let's just say that. I, um, I I've answered that question in the past as lonely, um, but I wouldn't. I, I don't know. If, I don't know if that's fair. Um, I, I was quite a quite a shy character as, as a child, growing up, and um, I would say a big factor of um, you know what followed in my teenage years and in my in my twenties was the fact that I was sent to school in in, in the city centre. Um, you know, it was, uh, I was an introvert, I was a shy kid as, as it was, but then, you know, being sent in there into the, and it was basically my, my father's decision. He wanted me to learn uh, uh, Irish and do my education through Irish and gosh, we being an, an all Irish school. Um, sending me there made, made sure that I didn't uh, have that kind of social connection to school kids, uh, in around my area, like in, in the Castanoff, Blanchardstown area. So so with that, I was kind of, I always felt a little bit isolated. There was always the journeys to and from school where, you know, the big long bus journeys uh, into the city centre, you know, pretty much, you know, five days a week uh, you know, for 12 years where you were pretty much on your own, you know, which uh, gave me a lot of time to think, a lot of time to kind of ruminate in my, in my head, which, uh, you know, as I said, kind of, you know, was a big factor in, uh, me growing up and you know what, what followed in my teens and, and in my 20s and you know and um, growing growing to love film and as such as you know has been an outlet to uh, that kind of um, not quite isolation but that kind of uh, solitary kind of existence mm. and what um what films inspired you as a 
as a child? Like, what, what, what films do you yeah. remember? Yeah, I, it was just funny. I always loved films. So we always had, um, you know, as a kid, like, you know, we'd always, it was, it was always the outlet, you know, we'd always be home, um, you know, we'd have the Friday and Saturday night movie, movie nights, you know, even to this day, I, I, I still hold that tradition with my own, my own children. But um, I think the turning point, uh, you know, for me, it was, it was all kinds of different types of films, you know, from, you know, from just kind of family adventure films. But I think the turning point for me was the film Big uh, with Tom Hanks. Um, and I remember, um, again, my brothers kind of looked out for me because they knew I kind of, I didn't have many, many friends in, in the area. And they were kind of, you know, bringing me to these movies or bringing these movies in, which I wouldn't be able to usually get in the local extravision. But they they brought Big to me one day or one night and they showed it to me and I was just blown away. I just enjoyed it so much. And then I just started thinking that night about, you know, the process of filmmaking. And, you know, I remember, you know, naively at the time thinking, my God, it must be so easy to do it. You know, you just got a camera and a few people saying some lines, you know, this is it. This is my future. And I remember I... Jeepers, I probably was about, was about 12 or 13 at the time. And it just turned me, turned me, it turned, turned my world upside down, you know, literally. And from there, it was just that, that love of film just blossomed. Um, and it went from, okay, so big, there was big. And, you know, my, my interest was, was so peaked in, 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 oh, how are films made? And, oh, there's the director. And I think the first director that I really came to know or came to know and love and anyone in my family would say this would be Oliver Stone, um, mm. based on the fact where I, uh, and I shouldn't have at the time, I was probably about only, only about 13, uh, what I remember seeing Platoon. And I remember being blown away by everything from the story, from uh, the music, the, the cinematography, everything. And I was just, I was just starting, I didn't know it at the time, but I was starting to love all those art forms that come together to make, for me, film the greatest art form that there is. And um, I was like, who's responsible for this? Like who, like, who did this? And then Oliver Stone was the guy. And I got obsessed with Oliver Stone. So he was my first kind of obsessive. Um, there was a period, <laughs> there was a period where Arnold Schwarzenegger was, was, was a bit of a hero too. And I just loved his action movies and his kind of, you know, bravado and stuff. And I did. Um, there was a period there where Arnold Schwarzenegger movies were, were big on me. But I suppose from a filmmaking point of view, and it was kind of leading me uh, in towards that kind of filmmaking passion. Oliver Stone was 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 was, was the first director, um, and that, as I said, was around thirteen. And again, you know, you know yourself. When I had three months off summer holidays every year because of the nature of our school, and most schools in Ireland only have two, but I had three months off, and it was a, it was a lonely it was a lonely they were lonely summers. However. When you're when I was 13, 14, I was able to, you know, have a bit of pocket money, purchase my own movies, watch the DVDs. Uh, but not even that. There was always the the channel fours of those days and the BBC twos had the great movies on late at night. And I remember mm. those summers when I was 13, 14, that's where I just would watch and I remember, you know, looking at the newspapers, oh, this movie, that movie, oh, there's another one from Oliver Stone, or this is uh, and from there, from those summers, they were uh, there, they were the summers where I discovered, you know, from Oliver Stone, then there was Martin Scorsese, Francis Ford Coppola, Stanley Kubrick, you know, and a lot of the time I didn't understand most of the stuff that was going on in those movies, you know, um, mm. you know, uh, from Lolita, uh, from both Stanley Kubrick to, 
uh, you know, uh, even to born on the 4th of July, or, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, but uh, it was the process. It was the, the cinematography, the, the music, the acting. Everything was just, it, it was just blowing my way. And, I'm, you know, it was it was almost obsessive. It was almost like an addiction whereby I, rem- I do recall, like, the, you know, I would watch two to three films in a row and it'd be bright it'd be the next day like it, the, the the sun would be up in those in in those summers and but it was just it was just beautiful it was just for me it was and i had lost myself in that and i didn't care i wasn't lonely anymore because uh i resonated with those characters or re- you know and then after that i would you know it'll be all like researching the uh, how those films were made well you know there was no internet then so it was almost like when I see when I say research, the only the only point of research was Empire Magazine at the time. Mm. Premier, and, well. and Premier, yeah, 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 true, true. And tell me, did you? Um, so when you were thinking about getting into film, was it directing that you wanted to do, or did you think about becoming an actor? Because most directors want to be actors, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, it was all acting at the start. It was all mm. acting. I, I was yeah, I was a bit of a fan of Tom Cruise actually as well. And I thought I looked a bit like Tom Cruise. I can see, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, I remember uh, Rainman. Rainman was a massive, massive film for me. I still have it somewhere in the in the um, the videos uh, in a VHS somewhere here that I remember yeah. recording from BBC Two or whatever. And keeping it was just it was. But I remember watching Tom Cruise and that, and the dynamics with him and Dustin Hoffman, and realizing that they were the that was the. Um, the, the power of the actor and mm-hmm. I I would uh, play out those scenes to my, with myself in uh, you know in my bedroom or you know wherever and and it was yeah acting was was what I was gearing for myself up for I just thought it was amazing but then it was an element of of it was uh, that's where the emotion because Rain Man for me even now Jeepers even now list, remembering that final scene between the two brothers where um, Oh God, I even I'm just getting emotional even just thinking of it now was such a poignant scene between mm. Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman when they, they put heads together. And that that for me was when I really realized how powerful the actor was. And um so hence I wanted to be the uh, wanted to be an actor. That was that was first part of the call. But as I got into my teenage years and um further into my teenage years and as I progressed and I'm like 16, 17, um it was the first time that depression started to raise its, its ugly head on me um, and it knocked me for six in terms of confidence mm. and I kind of started to come back from the world in terms of step back from oh and almost like stepped away behind the camera um, in terms of oh was I there could... a trigger there was no trigger I I really don't know well no there was no trigger at the time but I do remember the first time when I realized a, a, a wave of sadness just came over me when I was going back from school one day and I couldn't control it and I remember being so scared I got off the bus uh, when I'm walking home and being so scared because I realised whoa uh, there's something wrong there uh, I'm not able to you know control my emotions there and like why was I just ready to burst into tears on the bus for no reason and it just felt an utter sadness uh, and a hopelessness and that was that was really scary uh, there was no trigger, but when I look back on it now, I think um, there's so much to be said about isolation and social distance, uh, you know, or, you know, being distanced socially from 
your peers and mm -hmm. you know not being engaged with you know other people um that leads to you know like so that, that kind of social isolation that that would lead to a depression and i probably was uh, ignoring that all the way those through those years and i think that's where the build-up came and then it kind of the, the collapse started when i was like in my when i was 16 17 and hence it was really affecting my confidence mm. um did you go uh, for I, treatment? No, because back then you, I didn't know. You know, there was no. It was still like very much a, you know, man. You know, you you know, man up. You know, why would you be sad? Uh, and that was the big thing for me. And you know, I would daren't even ask anybody for help on it because if this was a problem that I uh, had and had to bring all the way through my my life without telling anybody, you know, uh, until until I was in my mid-30s, I was able to tell somebody that was close to me um, that I had this. Uh, yeah, and so that's where I started looking at other other avenues um, um, of um, the filmmaking. Um, and I was I was quite a successful kid in school. I was like, I was called, you know, one of my nicknames is Mr. President because everyone thought I'd be a president of Ireland at one stage. <laughs> because I was out. Yeah, <laughs> you never, you never know. But um, the so I was quite successful. So I was quite ambitious that way in terms of I knew I could be top of whatever. So there definitely was a case of I can, okay, well if I can't act in the movie, I can make the movie myself. I can control it. I can, you know, I can, hey, well, maybe, well, maybe. Why, why did you decide you decide you couldn't act in a movie? Like when, when did? Well, you... it, yeah, there was just more. It was just more confidence. I just probably have broke in front of a camera like uh, at that time. I was just very, very fragile. Um, when I was 18 and I was doing my uh, leaving certificate, uh, 17, 18, um, I had a mental breakdown uh, because uh, just the pressure I was putting under myself to be, to get the, you know, Tom Marks. And I remember, we, you know, it, Obviously, in Ireland, we have the mock exams in the mm. spring, kind of like a, a, a trial run uh, before the actual real thing. And the, I put so much pressure on myself to be number one, to get the big grades, to get, you know, into the top college that I just had. I, I basically had a mental breakdown that I almost kind of almost ended my leaving cert year where I probably like where I didn't do it. Um and I just kind of got, had to gather myself and pick myself up. And that left a massive scar, a massive scar there, uh, just because of the pressure that not just myself put on myself, but I think, you know, the Leaving Cert, unfortunately, has that the pressure element on, 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 on children. And Jeepers, I took it on. I took it on full throttle. So, was, it a was it a competition thing, the pressure, or was it a... Was it was... You trying to uh, justify or, or trying to... Um... Where, where was that pressure coming from? It was internal pressure, mm -hmm. internal pressure. Like, um, again, at the end of the day, you know, you're, I'm socially isolated. I'm built myself up to be this, you know, number one in school, mm -hmm. but at home I'm, I'm, I'm numbers, I, I'm number nothing because I was so, you know, isolated from everybody. And, you know, Hey, I'm in a big family, but a lot of the time I was in my room or just kind of, you know, that'd be my weekend. I'd come home, go to the room. Uh, whereas other kids were, uh, you know, teenage discos, all that kind of stuff. Um, so 
for me, it was like, well, if I can't have anything at home, if I can't have this character or, you know, or this, you know, ego, let's just say at home, I built up this ego of this guy who was in the class, who was top of the class. And he had to be, he had to come out at the end of that leaving cert with the top marks. Uh, otherwise, that uh, that structure, that, you know, egoic structure that I had created would just collapse uh, or would just be, not collapse, it would just be seen for what it, what it was, like it, it was fake. So that, in uh, when I think of it that way, I, I had that, you know, pressure, uh, this kind of, uh, of, of doing, doing my best, uh, or not doing my best, or getting the best, even though, uh, and then that's what led to that, kind of, that, that's what led to that breakdown. I remember my mocks. Yeah, so the mocks were, so the mock exams were just like, um, there was just, Obviously, there's a the, the, there's a trial run, but I remember it saying, you know, for me at that time, I had to get everything right. I had mm. to be, I had to know everything. This was it. Like, I had to, there was no compromise here. It had to be a, a standard. It was just a case of I can't remember anything. I couldn't remember anything. I went home. I couldn't remember anything. I was hysterical. I'm crying like crazy. My mom's wondering what's going on. I just couldn't. You know, it was. It was a balling. I was a balling rag for that weekend. It was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I couldn't, you know, shaking. She couldn't sleep. It was, it was a, it was a traumatic experience that I went through, and I can remember it still to this day. Like it's, it scarred me all the way up into into my twenties. I ke- I kept going back to, was that the point? Was that the tipping point that kind of, uh, ensured me uh, a struggle all the way through my 20s and my early 30s uh, before I was able to resolve things and that was it was it was such a yeah it was it was such a like a traumatic event for me even though it was all self-inflicted um mm. it was um something I I, I it, it took so long for it was the elephant in the room it took so long to kind of come to terms with you know it was always there and lingering in the background and when you reflect on and on it now and it's over 20 years ago can you see anything um anything positive that came from it anything character forming anything or was it just a total catastrophe i definitely i mean i am who i am now and i'm a very positive uh, very positive and you know um a, a different personality to what i was uh, back then and uh, I think Jeepers, it's it's one of those things. I don't look back and regret anything, and I don't I, like everything has taught me. Yeah, everything that's happened in my life has taught me, and kind of formed me, formed who I am today. And I couldn't be happier with who I am today, even though I've gone through some crazy. Without it, I don't think I'd be the person I am now. And you know, the, I often get comments. I, like I feel I'm. <laughs> um, I'm. I'm a. I feel without those, I wouldn't be the person who I am right now. Those kind of experiences and that kind of formed my character, you know, all the way through my life and and, even, not just my character, but even my work, even my kind of you know my work, my writings, the projects even that I want to, you know, do in the future. There's all a fingerprint on them. There's all a thread. You you saw them in Hill Sixteen, <laughs> even though Hill Sixteen was, it's so you know a, a dark comedy. It's, there's threads throughout all my work of that isolation and that lingering trauma that's there in certain characters in, mm. in any of my writings and any of my, kind of my future writings. 
they're there. I look back, look at my future projects. I can see them. I can see them there, and I and I don't shy from them now. Even when I was writing in sixteen, I was almost like shying from them. You know, I was like, you know, because I was still in that in that kind of zone, so to speak. Uh, but now I look back and hey, they 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 formed so much of who I am to who I am and what I write about today. So I actually look at them as a positive thing. But like also, I, you, you'd be able to see signs or indications of anything similar. You would be hypersensitive in your own children, right? So if you yeah. see anything, you'll be aware. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, one of my children is very like me in character. Um, and I'm able to, <laughs> in, 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 a, in a kind of a humor, like humorous way, spot those things. Um, mm. And... Yeah, I mean, you're, you're de- I'm definitely more aware of it. And I, I suppose I came from, came from, you know, my parents wouldn't have been more like aware of the stuff I was going through uh, until, you know, to my early 20s, uh, when my mother was more kind of, you know, savvy to what was going on. Um, but yeah, for me, I'm alert to those things. I think about like, um, they're such a huge fabric of who I am and my daily practices and all, you know, and, and, and what I do. Mm. Um, um so they're kind of they're, they're always in my mind those those um those kind of issues so and hey my kids are always with me so it's it's something that would be you know be prevalent as they're growing up and i want to kind of be able to uh you know teach them as they get older of what i went through so when they go when and if or they go through it or even their kids they're they're aware of it too you know, it's not a case of I'm not looking on them silently from the sidelines and, okay, they're all right. They're not going through what I went through. That's fine. I most definitely will be making them fully aware and I'm sure they'll be able to see it in my work, in my, my writings of, hey, dad, has, dad was X, Y, and Z. Um, and this is how we coped with it. This is how we got over it. And this is how we turned, you know, pivoted and turned it all around. Mm. So they'll be fully aware of it. You know, I think it's, I think it's really important, like, because, you know, hey, mental health is so prevalent right now and it's even more so, and I think it's going to be even more so in, in you know, in, to, you know, in, in the next generations ahead of us. So let's, let's look at the first film you made, Hill yeah. 16, right? So in terms of mental health, it's, it's all over Hill 16, right? <laughs> but in your words, right, how would you describe the film? If, uh, give me a synopsis of Hill 16. Hill 16 from your perspective yeah uh, Hill 16 well um yeah so Hill 16 is about Niall Brady who's a 16 year old growing up in Dublin um in an all boys school uh, again you know teenager you know 16 years old you're really young and you're in an all boys school just like me uh you're kind of isolated you're you know the, all you really think of is, is the likes of girls and football um and you become infatuated with uh, a teacher who arrives into the school. Um, so Niall becomes infatuated with this new, uh, with this teacher who arrives into the school. It was kind of like a temp teacher, Sal, played by Barbara Dempsey. Um, and um, there's all kinds of backgrounds. Without, without, without ruining it all, Niall has a, Niall has a, um, a relative who is involved in IRA uh, gun running and uh, drug smuggling and all that kind of stuff. And Sal uh, is essentially a, 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 an undercover cop who's sent in to kind of uh, uh, lure Niall's uh, relative uh, by befriending Niall. 
course, Niall is, is, is only a teenager, so he's a little bit naive to it, and he thinks uh, he's, he has all these conspiracies in his head. Uh, but he's also infatuated with Sal, like the older, good-looking woman. Um, and uh, it's all kind of told in a, in, in a, in a comic way, uh, in a darkly comic way. And um, uh, at the end, essentially, of Niall obviously discovers the truth about Sal, the truth about his cousin. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's it in a nutshell. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, can't, I can't think of any other. Like, there was various other strands to the movie that were eventually edited out. <laughs> but that's it in a nutshell in terms of that's the core synopsis for it, yeah. Yeah, well, from when I was looking at it and reading it, I, I was looking at stuff like betrayal and fantasies, right? Um, Niall is a, Niall Brady is a child. Yeah, and that's where, and fantasy... And he's a fantasist as well, in, to a certain extent. Absolutely. His whole life was based around fantasy. Like when we first meet Niall, he's essentially alone. Um, you know, he's alone in his rooms. All he's really, you know... He's, he's, he's just into his football, all that kind of stuff. Typical teenage boy, uh, solitary figure. Um, and betrayal, yes. And I think, and, and that is very much goes back to my own kind of uh, uh, character back then and was the kind of paranoia mm. of other people. You know, you're on your own. You don't have that social connection. So you mm. think, what's going on? Um, mm. You know, are they, um, and, and that was a lot to do with my kind of solitary, solitary um, existence as a teenager, being at home, you know, seeing other kids in the neighborhood going off to the teenage disco and I'm stuck at home because I don't know who they are. I don't know, you know, no friends essentially, you know, it was a complete loner and you're thinking, wow, what's going on? You know, so that is it. Yeah. And then the conspiracy theories are not the conspiracy. Theories. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's one of the conspiracy theories and the, the doubt and the fear of betrayal is all there. And that's all with Niall. Like he's, he's, he's constantly, once he gets the slightest hints that sell, in the movie, might be uh, might be having a relationship with his relative. You know, he's he's completely. You know, he completely goes berserk. He's he, he he's watching her windows at night. It's all you know, complete paranoia. Um, and yeah, that would have been that would have been a, a huge factor. My own my own self. Um, so hence, you can see it kind of coming through on the page. Mm. Uh, the, the thing about it was when I look back on it is the ambition to do it right yeah. so you you're going through these mental health issues right yeah. you're very cognizant and conscious that you're suffering from de depression sporadically probably have low self-esteem you don't want to be go in front of a camera and be an actor because of possibly self-esteem issues but then you decide you know what i'm going to do i'm going to write direct produce yeah. cast edit and do the music basically <laughs> for the entire yeah production <laughs> right yeah. um so where did this is this kind of some like it's almost like the the duality of the personality so yeah. you have this chronic depressive and then this ambitious bordering on narcissist who who could probably you know like a kubrick like narcissist who says you know what i'm going to do i'm, I'm going to do it to hell with everybody else i'm going to do it on my own but what you did do was, and I remember you, you were over an extended period of time, you were working very hard on trying to get money together, right? So you were saving and saving and saving. 
Mm-hmm. And as a young man, you were mid twenties, about twenty five when we when we when we did it. Mm-hmm. You had you had saved up enough money, like you were very very serious about this, and you followed through, right? So where did that come from? Where did that because because ninety nine percent of human beings, most people dream of making a movie, but they're never going to try and attempt it because of the sheer scale of it. What gave you the confidence to do that? I'm, I suppose I'm getting at. I did. Internet. Sorry. Oh, no, you're back. Okay. Yep. So, uh, yeah. So what I'll do is I'll go again. I'll lead you into this piece and I'll, I'll cut yeah. it. So what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to understand is, is the sheer scale of what you were pl- attempting to do. So you were going to write, direct, edit, do the score, produce, cast, post-production and everything. But at the same time, you're planning to do that and you have the ambition to do that and the determination to do it. In the background, you're also, you've got mental health issues, you're dealing with depression, the black dog of depression. It's it's coming and going sporadically. So where did that huge, uh, that motivation, that ambition come from? And where, where did that belief come from? Yeah, um, well, you know, when I was the, like the, the, the head honcho in, in school, uh, you know, in terms of like, you know, the number one in the class, all that kind of stuff. I wanted to do something. I, I, I was in, so in love with film. And don't forget, Quentin Tarantino was coming up. Uh, like that was, you know, the, that was the, you know, era mid nineties. Mm. So, and Tarantino was coming, to, had burst onto the scene then. And everybody, you know, it was just, it was a magnificent part because all the filmmakers that I, was you know idolized were were all you know guys from the seventies and eighties and now Tarantino was the was the guy like he, he his like it was like the Tarantino Renaissance he came onto the scene mm. and I was like that's it I'm gonna make the movie and people now if you met anybody who was in my class back then in you know in, in school when I was uh, uh, you know sixteen seventeen uh, guys who I haven't seen since you know I left school in nineteen ninety six. You grab them and said, "Oh, you know, ask them about me." We're like, "Oh, Dermo, yeah, he was. He was just nuts about films. He was going to go and make the movie. He was going to go make this movie." So it was always in my head. I'd always said to people, "I'm going to make this movie," uh, even back then when I was 16, 17. And so I come and I'm got the mental health issues. I go to Trinity College after uh, school to study English literature and, and history the mental health issues uh, just kind of go turbo over there because now I'm in a zone where I'm completely isolated. School was a, it was an outlet. The guys who were in my class, I adored. They were completely ostracized. And now it's a level playing field. I'm in Trinity College with a lot of people who are the same intellect as me. I'm no longer in this classroom where I'm number one. So, Again, knock, the knocking of confidence, but always in the background, I was the guy who was going to make the movie. So it got to the stage where I was starting to panic. I, I'd, I'd left college then, you know, did, got to the degree. Okay, hang on a second, Jim. But it was always because the, the wife I went to charge you there. Hang every on. time I met someone, Okay, yeah. Sorry, sorry. The, the Wi-Fi went a bit dodgy there. But... So yeah, yeah. Start again. You're 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 in Trinity College, yeah. and what happens? So I'm in Trinity College, and it's essentially the the 
my mental health comes even further there you know I'm, I'm there with people who are more intelligent to me and or as intelligent to me whereas in school I was like king of the castle but and I love my guys I love the guys in my school um, they uh, but Trinity was different um, and I found it very impersonal and we had this running joke that <laughs> bringing me to Trinity was like bringing Rain Man to the airport but that's what it is uh, and, and that's what it was for me and it just uh, it was so impersonal and it just wasn't the it wasn't the didn't have any kind of the of the connection that I had with the guys in in school so it was mm. a big challenge for me um, and again you know you're doing English literature and history you're doing you're seeing people you're seeing people in for like you know six hours in the week you know all of it's kind of library based so there's you know you, you know you're going you're studying texts in the library and it's 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 so solitary it's so um uh, isolating uh that, that that degree that i did and so here i am i'm struggling with mental health issues a lot of it down to the fact that i was you know alone as a as a, as a child for most of my, my childhood and now here i am uh late late teens early 20s alone again for most of the week um and my only outlet back then was the kind of was the um was the kind of like part-time jobs that I would have had uh, as a student that I was you know just for you know you know to keep, to keep me going through college because mm -hmm. I was with people you know and I was able to you know have a laugh and all that kind of stuff so yeah so Trinity that was when it got really bad you know I just really didn't like the place I wasn't turning up to tutorials I'd uh, uh, again my confidence was being knocked because I'm going from you know, the hero in the class and now I'm on a level playing field and there's guys and girls in the class with me who are way more intelligent than me. So I'm going backwards. I'm going backwards. But I'm still always clutching to that to that mantra that I was the guy who was going to make the movie. So again, still movies were still my 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 outlet. You know, I, I, I my part time job throughout college was in the cinemas in Blanchardstown. Again, and I would go to see every film there you know as a uh, as a um as uh, being able to see all the movies that came through and um, so it was all the case of you know so when you're gonna you know and i, I bump it to people's gonna be all like when you're gonna make them I mean, so there's this kind of pressure that was always yeah. coming on me yeah and the pressure started building when are you gonna make that movie i'd meet i'd meet teachers you were telling people about it right yeah I'd which makes people. it worse so right yeah. so now you have to honor the what you've said you're going to do yeah yeah or you feel and, shame and guilt and all kinds of stuff yeah exactly the guilt the shame and it was so i wrote the script i wrote the script for hill 16 i think it was this hill 16 it was called initially and it was quite a quite a serious and somber kind of movie um and um yeah I, it was floating around for about you know three or four years in 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 my in my you know on my desk and it was uh, one of those things that uh, someday i'll get to make that you know and i wasn't um uh, it, it, i didn't have any you know uh, plan on or idea of how i was going to make it and i was kind of jumping around from filmmaking courses here and there and doing courses in film base and you know they were all like you know um you know, like you'd, you'd make your like one minute film and, you know, I, I just never kind of, never kind of got excited about it. So, um, but I was, you know, I'd left college then, I finished, got my degree uh, and then I was going in and in the background, I, I don't know if it was a procrastination or it was just a case of, you know, you know, the artist 
really you know purposely putting off following through on making this film but i um i just went from job to job uh, my mental health was poor so i was leaving jobs like after six months because i couldn't cope with some of them at times and <clears throat> i just hid in a job in a stock room in a, in a shop in town and hid there for a few years and you know um it and just kept saving the money, but it wasn't it wasn't much money. So I was like, "How am I going to do this? How you know? Um, how am I going to? How, how am I ever going to be able to pay actors or crew or anything to make this movie?" But hey, you know what? Someday I'm going to do it. I just kept saying that to myself. Um, and then I got to the stay. Or then I then I came across Robert Rodriguez's book mm-hmm. Rebel Without a Crew. Mariachi. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Mariachi and how he did it. Um, and again. There was, uh, as I said, Tarantino was coming, was 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 the was the new kid on the block at the time, um, but he, he, you know, he was he was, you know, even he, this is even past Pulp Fiction, but um, there was a connection, obviously, between Tarantino and Rodriguez, and everybody, you know, you'd be, you know, reading your Empire magazines, it's like, wow, this guy, Robert Rodriguez, look what he's done, he's made a movie out of nothing, and so I went, bought Rebel, and I remember seeing that picture. Of Robert Rodriguez on the front of Rebel Red Crew, and he's just one guy sitting there, or one guy there, and he's just got his camera, uh, yeah, and his, um, you know, the the the, the steady cam essentially, mm. and uh, it, just that image, I can still see it to this day, going, wow. So I I read that book in one night. I remember and thinking, this is it. This is it. Now, not that I went out the next day and started started going to to make a scene, but it started. Excuse me. Started the planning process for the for the film. Um, now it was an, another two years, I think, before I actually made it. But I, the reason I made it, the reason I said that's it. I remember just getting fed up with meeting people or dodging people because I was so shamed that I hadn't done the movie that I told people I was were doing. Mm. And I just said, "That's it. I'm head down. I'm going to make this movie, and I'm going to." You know, I had enough money. Uh, I had a friend. She was going to lend me some money to kind of purchase the camera. I was just going to go out there and do it. And nothing was going to stop me. And I remember thinking, I remember people couldn't, in my, my family who knew I was such an introvert. And then all of a sudden here, I'm ringing actors. I'm talking to actors on phones. I'm, you know, ringing um, yeah, and booking, you know, community centers to hold auditions. They thought I was crazy. They thought, oh my God, but he's doing it. He's actually, this is the start of it. What's, what's, you know, they couldn't stop me. Mm. And that was the start of it. And I knew once I started making those phone calls, oh my God, I've got to follow through now for sure. You know? Mm. Um, so the script, values of the script, it was still, hey, I didn't have any kind of formal learning on filmmaking. No formal learning, apart from the odd kind of, you know, I, the editing class, you know, weekend classes on how to edit, you know, a movie or you know, had to, you know, and operate a camera. And back then, the digital age, the digital age of cameras was only really starting. It was still a case of, it was almost like, you know, the poor man in the film base. It was like, oh, you know, hey, this is how you make a movie. And if you want, you can learn how to, you know, do it digitally. Mm. But now it's now it's completely different. But, uh, so back then it was a case of, well, this is the only way I'm going to do it. I'm never going to be able to make it. Even though Rodriguez, Robert Rodriguez, made El Mariachi through film, I, I thought to myself, I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm not going to be able to get, um, you know, get all those reels and 
post them off, get them, you know, I, it's just not possible. I, I just don't have the cash for that. Let's go the digital route. I can't remember what it was. It was obviously the Danish digital film movement at the time was was really kicking off then. Um, and I, it was obviously something probably I read in Empire that triggered in me, okay, I can do what Robert Rodriguez do, but I can do it digitally. And by doing it digitally, I'll be able to, you know, shoot to my heart's content and edit it and all that kind of stuff, you know? So, yeah, so that's where I'm, you know, as I said, I'm still to this day remember sitting in my parents' converted garage, making those phone calls to the actors, thinking, oh my God, I'm, I'm doing this and nothing's going to stop me. And I remember, you know, I, I had a girlfriend, a long-term girlfriend at the time and thought, she's not going to see me for, for six to nine months, but I don't care. I'm doing this. I'm going to follow through. I'm going to make this movie. And prove my prove myself and stop. I'd be able to stop those people from asking me again that I did that, you know. And it was kind of I don't know, it was a paranoia on me that people were kind of sniggering at the fact that oh Jesus, he said that's the guy who's you know said he was going to make a movie, and it's almost ten years and he hasn't made that movie. Mm. So for me, it was a case of I got to just do this. It's it's now or never. So can you remember? So I I remember where we started, and basically you commandeered your mother's house right and you banished them to <laughs> another room and your mother yeah. were very kindly they were they were incredibly um patient yeah and they were incredibly accommodating and yeah. i and I, even looking back now I, I i got i think my god your poor mother how did she give yeah. her house up for three months how yeah. did you convince them <laughs> to do that i know and your sister I, as well your sister yeah. was banished to her room yeah, there was a lot of people who got, uh, yeah, like the whole family. And a lot of my, my, my brothers and sisters had moved out by then. But yeah, my parents were there. I think they thought, we got to let him do this. You know, he's, he, he, and I think when they saw the camera coming in and they saw you, Connor, coming in and, you know, Barbara, um, who, who was known to the family beforehand, you know, Barbara who played Sal, I think they realized this is, this shit is real. Like, <laughs> he's actually doing this, you know, the lights and, I converted my old bedroom into the actual bedroom, Niall Brady's bedroom. Um, I just went, uh, yeah, I, I I was lucky. Now, I was very lucky that my parents were doing a lot of traveling to the States at the time. So I think there was a period where they were away for two to three weeks. That uh, And because my, my uh, sister who lived over in, in New Jersey at the time had just had a kid, so they were going over and helping, which was great. So they were like, hey, you look after, knock yourself out, you look after... <laughs> You, you you know fill them whatever you want so i was lucky the timing was perfect i was able to use the house uh and you know bring loads of actors in for some of the big family scenes mm. uh, in the in those times which is really cool um yeah they were very very accommodating and i think when they came back but i do remember my mother coming back at one stage from being away for a few days and i i was up this is my uh i had not slept the night before because i was getting trying to prep for a uh, trying to prep for, for for a scene or a day of filming with, with, with yourself, Connor. I remember it was the day where we were filming all those nifty little scenes of Connor in the or Nile in the bedroom and you know pulling out his porn from underneath and I had all these you know I was trying to figure out I was essentially dr trying to dress the bedroom back to how it looked looked like when I was mm -hmm. a teenager. So film posters, posters of you know um, you know uh, music artists, all that kind of stuff. Um, 
but it took me so long to do that. And but I remember my mother coming back and she looked at me and she thought, "Oh my God, you're talking strange. You're going to have a heart attack. You know, you got to just rest. You got to ring those actors and cancel what you're doing tomorrow. Go to bed and start filming the day after." And I remember having to do that mm. uh, because I, I thought it was cheaper. Yeah, and like I was almost like slurring my speech. I was right. so. Uh, then my mom realized, okay, he's so dedicated to this. I'm just going to let him do it. Just keep on going. And I, in fairness, like I was a bit cheeky. I kept on saying to him, I've only got one more week of shooting. I've only got one more week of shooting. I planned to film it and be complete in like three weeks. But I think we started filming. Uh, we started filming in November. And then we finished just 19th of March. We finished filming. Now, I, did, I know we did some reshoots then later, later after that, but... The 19th of March is still a day that I celebrate because I remember just being so happy when we were filming that time up by the bridge up here, up here in Castlenock and just being, God, we did it. I did it. I filmed the whole, I got that film. It's all in the can. Like, I, you know, or well, it's in the can in, in 20 digital tapes, <laughs> DGB, uh, DB cam tapes. Um, but yeah, um, so yeah, like, I mean, it got it got, to, it got to the stage where my parents, like my father, was even a, a, a guard, and you know, uh, like uh, like um, an extra. Like they were all helping out, at the, you know. Uh, eventually, they realized I was doing it. I was going out. I had these actors when they saw you guys in in the room. They they gave us that room, almost like technically it was the green room where we'd come in, we'd rehearse, you know, with uh, do our rehearsals for the next day. And yeah, I was very very lucky. I, I mean. The re- the area like the it the movie was about my childhood, so it was very easy for me like all the locations, all those things to realize these are the locations. You know the mm. canal that we used down in um, the Royal Canal, the schools, the fields, you know the bridges uh, where Niall is with his girlfriend. You know that kind of stuff. And all those kind of areas were just they were so familiar to me. They were in my head as I was writing them, so it just made sense to actually get on film and do everything there even though i mean my neighbors even to this day still remember me being up on the roof <laughs> the extension of our with a camera and lights at like half 11 at night you know so mm. you know it's, it's, it's almost going to end history <laughs> on, 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 my, on my parents road but as you as you went through it i remember you getting more and more ambitious right and the scale getting bigger and bigger and bigger mm. so at the yeah. start in november just basically me you a camera in your bedroom yeah but by the end you're renting buses you're renting you you took over a school right? yeah you yeah. took over a school you had yeah. people playing football you had yeah. like teams of people playing football you had all kinds of and you were providing food and catering i think of at the time and yeah it just grown and grown and snowball and snowballs and it's as if as if your confidence as we yeah. went through it absolutely and you just kept going and then you rented yeah. out um one of those things where you put the car on them you put the yeah. car and we were driving around Dublin and you're the, low. the camera. The low yeah. loader, is that what it's called? The low, low loader, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so as you went through it, and I suppose the, the lesson here for anybody that's thinking about making films or, or is just put one foot in front of the other. Like yeah, once you absolutely. have, you did hire a, um, a sound person because obviously sound yeah. is, is critical. Yeah. Um, But there was you, camera, some lights, actors, mm. And, yeah. and that was pretty much it. Yeah. So it comes to March. Mm. You don't have any mental health episodes during that four or five month period. 
No. Meaning you're not feeling depressed at all. You're not feeling down. You're just, you don't have time. You just fire yeah. through this thing. Cause you were doing a day job, I think at the same time, weren't you? Yeah, I was. I was still working. Like I was working in a department store in the city. Uh, and still did up until, you know, for, for another five years. Or even after, even when Hill 16 was doing the films, film festival circuits and, mm. and, you know, being acquired by HBO, I had to like, you know, request time off. And I was meeting producers and agents in New York and I'm, you know, getting calls from my manager back in 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 the retail store in Ar- in, in Ireland. Um, you know, so, when you come back. So let's get to that piece, right? But first of all, let's let's talk about. You have the twenty digital tapes. Yeah. Right now, you it was when the the work starts as well. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, big time. Yeah. So you built a studio in 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 essentially your bedroom. Yeah. And you got the the technology and you put it into your bedroom and you crafted this studio to edit. Uh-huh. Yeah. Talk me through that. Yeah, it was the case. And that was the most enjoyable part of Hill 16 for me uh, was editing it and put, bringing it all together. Um, you know, just quickly going back to how the scale kind of went up. Mm-hmm. It was a case of, uh, and it worked on, it, it helped in making my confidence go up was looking at the, the script in its entirety and almost like ticking all the and circling all the scenes that I knew I could get away. You know, let's just say, let's just say it was about 360 shots or, or scenes mm. out of that script. And, it, you know, 160 of them, for instance, are scenes that I knew. It's just me and you. We could film. We have our props. Boom, boom, boom. And, you know, I got them, you know, as I went, I could get, because I knew the bigger ones, the scenes where the guys playing football in the, in, in the yard, the, you know, that was the process I adopted and I approached with that, with the whole script. Um, and it's probably what led to me becoming a project manager in a, in a different uh, later life. But it, uh, I was able to look at the smaller things, the quick wins, get these in and build them up and build them up and build them up and get them in the, you know, get them in the can. And then I needed those scenes to complement those. I needed the bigger scenes to complement those small niftier scenes, which I knew what I'd be able to cut really well. And, you know, make it look like a real movie, even though I was filming with a digital camera. Uh, so it was the same then when I came to the editing point, the post-production, essentially. So I was like, okay, here we go. Load it all up, bring them all in, start loading all the, the, the footage, and let's start looking at the, the, the you know, the scenes that were easier, easy enough to, to cut. But you, um, you're, you're essentially self-taught, Dermot, right? So... Had you any editing yeah. experience before you sat down in this makeshift editing suite? Had, had you? How, where did you learn? What, where was? What was the process of learning how to edit? Yeah, well, oh, this is twenty years ago. The, yeah, the only the I did that was the best course. The only good course I did in the, in the film center at the time. The film center is obviously a lot different now. Was a weekend course in film editing on Apple computers, like Final Cut Pro. Mm. And it was absolutely brilliant. It was so hands-on. It was only a weekend course, like, you know, and that taught me how to edit movies. And still to this day, it was so well, so well done. I can't remember the name of the, the, the guy or the girl who, who trained us, uh, but so hands-on. And that's where I learned it. That's how, I, that's how, and I was able to, so that was one of my purchases. I bought an Apple Mac, bought the mm. Final Cut Pro, set up the studio, uh, in my bedroom and off I went I started and I had just reams and reams of uh, foodscap pages beside me with notes of 
all different all the different scenes. And as I was going through the scenes and I was looking at the script, I was formulating, putting the movie together. Um, and again, going through that process of where's the quick wins and kind of, you know, placing them all in the, in the timeline. And um, where are the quick wins in terms of these these shots are good. And and then I, <clears throat> as I would go, and this is where I had the luxury, I have the camera there in the room myself. And I'd be like, oh, I didn't get an establishing shot. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, geez, I didn't get this shot. So I would often, uh, I went through a process then as I was editing of setting up a little kind of almost a studio. So if I got the close shot of, Nile, you know, opening the door, or you know, uh, or a shot of the the, ma- uh, uh, the the motorway. Essentially, I grab my camera, off I go, get that shot, bring it back into the studio, boom, it's mm-hmm. in. You know, because they're the kind of things you don't have the luxury to do when you're just making a movie on your own, and mm-hmm. uh, when you're actually on set, like it's you know, when you've got actors there at a bus stop, mm-hmm. you know, in November afternoon, you can't say, oh well. Stay there, guys. I'm just going to go over and take a shot of the motorway. You do it like, you know, three months later when you're on your own and you can go ahead and do it yourself, you know. Mm. And if I was to ask you a question, I mean, so here's what I'm thinking, right, from, I suppose, a psychological perspective, right? All your life, you're growing up, you spend a lot of your time and your childhood on your own. The idea of doing a project like this on your own kind of makes sense. Yeah, right. Absolutely. In a way, because... It, it just seems almost, yeah, well, of course he's going to do it on his own. He spent his entire life alone. Well, like, well why would it be any different? Like, now, you know? So yeah. anyway, let, let's get to the... So you, you, how long did you spend in post-production editing it? Um, Supers, I think it was almost... It was definitely over a year to edit it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it and again, the and yeah, it was over a year to edit it. And it got to the stage where people were thinking, oh, he's not happy with the movie, so he's not going to release it, and he's just going to... He's going to just stay up there editing for years and years. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're never going to get to see this movie, you know? Yeah. Um, so, and I remember my and mom. Were you not happy with it? Oh, there was some elements. Uh, uh, no, there was, no, th- no, I was happy with it. But there was, there was elements of it that I just uh, kicked myself even to this day that I, like, I, I know you mentioned we employed this, I employed the sound man, but I should have employed him. Uh, for more I should have had a better learning on the sound you know uh, I took it for granted yeah, so that was a big you know but I, when you look back at the movie now we, I, hey, I didn't have the learning uh, like filmmakers would have now or the equipment like you know um, so to be a lot like for the guys who you could do it now a lot better in terms of production values and stuff like that so there was there was there was there, there was things there that I wasn't happy with from a technical point of view but from an from a the actual movie itself, when I put it together, I was I was more than happy with it. I was just really delighted with it, and I was I was anxious obviously about it because you just don't know. I liked it, but you know, I knew I was a little bit odd. So, what's the world going to think of it? Like, what's the the audience going to think? But there was that anxiety was starting to build mm. on that. But it was all it was. But I didn't really, you know, it was starting to build, but it was kind of in the background. It, for me, the that the thing was just complete this movie, get it out there, put it on a DVD, and it's there. There's Hill 16. It's done. Do you know? Um, When when did you show it? When was the first time you said, okay, I'm done, I'm going to... And who did you show it to, first of all? Yeah, I remember the first people I showed it to were my family. Mm. And they sat down and they watched a really long cut of it. I think it was was a five-hour version, was it? (laughs) Yeah, it was. think it was was two hours, 57 minutes. Mm. Two hours, 57 minutes. Yeah. 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 
So it was a very, very long version of it. I just couldn't, you know, you're so, you're so involved in the project that, yeah, yeah you're so attached to it. You just can't see how am I going to edit it? I can't, you know, you can't lose the scene because if you lose, you know, this seems so good. We spent so much, so much time doing this and editing and acting and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, two hours, 57 minutes, my family, they were the first, what I could sense uh, because I gave it to them. I was, I, and I left and went back up to my room where it all happened, where it all started. I went back up to my room and they watched because I was too anxious of what there was, but I could hear the laughs downstairs. I could hear the, you know, uh, but then I realized, my God, this is taking for ages, you know? And then, I, and then it, it tweaked me. This is too long. This is ridiculous. It's just too long. One sec, they're kind of, yeah. Yeah, come in. Come on in. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Good. Um, yes. So I realized it was too long. Um, and that was the first kind of indication. Oh, God, what am I going to do? How am I going to start cutting this out? Um, and I left it like that. It, it was a kind of like a work in progress still, like at the two hours, 57 minutes. I knew there were certain things I was going to cut out, but I definitely didn't ever think I was going to take a whole hour out of it. <laughs> For like its current duration now is one hour, 47 minutes. That's mm. the, when I want to say current, it's not, a, it's not like I'm still editing it, but the final mm. duration of it now is one hour, 47 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so you have, you, you're finished. You show it to your family. You have, the two hour 57 minute version. Okay. You mm -hmm. haven't cut it down at that point. Mm -hmm. You then decide, okay, families, what, what their reaction was, yes, it's wonderful. But of course, what are they going to, what else are they going to say to your family? Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now you've got to go out into the festival market. Now you've got to go <laughs> and talk to people externally. Can you yeah. remember who you approached? Was it the Galway film flatter you approached first? No, um, I didn't. Uh, no. It, I remember there was a website and it's probably still around withoutabox.com. And I remember these are the days before, like when like internet cafes still, you know, were still the thing. Mm. And I worked in town, obviously in the city center in the department store. And there was a, there was a, an internet cafe and I used to go there. Uh, once I had the movie made, I was like, okay, here we go. Uh, or editors. The feedback from my family was, Hey, yeah, it's great, but it's too long. Mm. And I was like, that's fine. I'm going to cut it down. I cut it down to two and a half hours. So I took it. The original cut so i went so that, that was my movie that was it i'm not i'm not touching it again but that's what i had in my head so without a backstop without a box.com you you basically you know you created a profile on there you know you set up your movie and you basically you could you, you know it was a really good kind of system where you basically could have you know send submit your movie to uh all these festivals all around the world everywhere you know any country uh you know and it would give a kind of a rundown of what the festival was what kind of movies it is for uh and how much it was and i was like god i was in debt at that time and uh, i'd spent a lot of money on hill 16 for what i was at the time i was still living at home with my parents uh, and the first uh, it was just it was almost like a spray and pray approach because i was like oh i don't know how this is going to figure out i'm going to figure this out Let's just get it out to as many festivals as possible. But I didn't have that much money. And most festivals at the time were like $20 to to, um, 
to enter there was some like that'll be more like the, the more expensive ones would be like a hundred but you'd be like uh, I, I would have to sacrifice submitting my uh, the, the hill 16 today because my approach at the start was get to as many festivals as possible I just need one person my my whole plan was this I just need one person to pick it up and one person to go hey this guy knows how to make movies did you see what he did you know mm -hmm. just like the Robert Rodriguez like Robert Rodriguez just had someone in an agency who saw it I'm like wow this guy made this movie on, on you know the rest is history and that's that was my plan this is my I always said it Hill 16 was my foot in the door movie uh, it's not going to be you know it's not going to win Oscars or anything like that but it's I just want someone to realise without me having to go through the whole trying to sell myself and trying to get an agent and all that kind of stuff mm. this is my way of getting into the industry and getting you know Essentially, getting another movie made. That's like, mm. that was my that was my whole uh, purpose of doing this. I wanted to make another movie. I wanted to be a filmmaker, and this is my way of doing it. So, get to as many film festivals. Someone uh, rather than just put my all my eggs in one bas basket and probably go to a more renowned film festival. Of course, I was like applying for like some, well, not quite Sundance, but there would have been bigger fe festivals uh, that I was trying to get into, like uh, independent. Uh, film festivals mm. um, and I would throw that but you wouldn't hear back from them so you're like oh whatever like, and um, it was just a case of and there was silence then for a, you know a few 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 months after all those and I started to think oh god this is a disaster you know mm. and then a few kind of came back and it was a case of hey yeah look listen, your, your film's been shortlisted it's going to be you know showing in the festival and these were all Festivals in, in the United States, mainly. Mm. Um, and I think it's the, uh, I, I always put it down to maybe perhaps the Irish connection and perhaps people love the fact that it's an Irish thing. Maybe they thought I was related to Ronnie Doyle because, you know, because of the name and, you know, it's a Dublin kind of dark comedy. But the American Film Festival was the first that, that started coming back and saying, hey, yeah, you're, 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 you know, film has been shortlisted. And that for me was a win because that's all I wanted. I just wanted, yes, just, please somebody be in that audience who's a scout or who's, you know, a producer who's got lots of money and wants to, you know, who's got money and burning a hole in his pocket and want, or hit, uh, wants to, 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 to make a movie. And Hey, this is the guy who's going to make my next movie. Mm. That's essentially what I was wishing for. Um, so I, they built up and it got, you know, shown in uh, the, the Flint, Michigan film festival was the first, uh, Film festival showed in mm. uh, over in the states, and I was yeah. like, "Wow, Flint! You know, Flint, Michigan. How, how bizarre is that? Like, you know, Michael yeah, Moore, all that kind of stuff." Michael Moore's festival. Y yeah, it is. Yeah, well, like he's from Flint, Michigan, and, mm. and he has he is involved in it, and and they were so good. The 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 the, the film festival organizers there. I remember they sending over the program to me and showing that you know where we had placed, and you know we put this. I put this whole marketing and PR package together, essentially like stills from the movie. My uh, girlfriend at the time took uh, was a photographer, so she took loads of kind of behind the scenes footage. It was all part of the package of selling me. This was my kind of, you know, trying to sell me and my brand and get you know Darren McDonald there, like you know, oh wow, Hill Sixteen, what a cool movie! And it was made by some guy who just did everything. He mm -hmm. did everything in the movie, uh, even did the music score. You know, um, uh, so it was just it was great to see them, and that was my only. I didn't have the money to go over to America. And you know, attend these film festivals. Um, I, I was just letting them go and um, let them, let, letting them show over there. And hey, happy out, great! I'm, I'm more delighted. I was just 
every night, obviously, you know, every night I'm watching my emails, waiting, waiting for that email to come in from, you know, uh, back then it was the Harvey Weinstein of, of this world. You know, you're waiting for, you know, the big call. Mm. Um, and never got them and a lot of times you would get the um you know you'd get the rejection from the film festivals and that kind of like yeah i got got so used to the re- hey thanks thanks for sending your film in yeah no thanks Do you know mm. um it, it's not fit, not fit for this festival or it wasn't shortlisted and that thickened my skin because you just go okay fine it's no problem it's no problem some are taking it up some are no problem and then one night um um I get this email from Flint Film Festival to say, congratulations, you you're, you won Best Feature Film. And I still remember my moment. I still remember. That was the, that was just the best moment ever. I know we won a lot of more film festivals after that, but just the first one. And to know it like that, wow, that movie that I made, uh, you, know, all, you know, all by myself actually won. The, and everybody like who has been on that journey with me was just like, Wow, we can't believe that. You know, we can't believe it. Won. And then within a space of a few weeks, then it picked up a few more awards. And I thought this was it, you know. And and, and it's funny because there was a momentum behind it then. Um, somebody at New Line Cinema who were just doing um who were just kind of pushing Lord of the Rings out out there at the time, got in touch with me. Hey, send in your movie. We've heard lots about it. And I just thought, oh my God, this is it. This is it. This is so the this moment, is just know? Peter Jackson's new line cinema. Yeah. Well, He's doing like Lord yeah, of the like, Rings is like two at that time. And you must be thinking, like, so you're getting a you're getting a call from that off from their offices, basically, an email or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they've heard something somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, like and I was a scout through New Line um uh, distrib- uh, dis- distribution. And they were like, hey, you know. Can you send us the movie? Uh, we've heard lots about it. You know, and there's obviously these guys have their, their their ears to the ground when it comes to film festivals and Indian films that could be potentially successful that would be probably very cheap to acquire. Mm. Uh, but I just thought, hey, New Line could distribute this around the world, and this this could be my this could be my way in, and it'll stop me having to send stuff to film festivals. And this, you know, this is it. New Line didn't happen, but they were they were so nice. Uh, about us you know they came back which not not quite constructive criticism but it came back with a hey listen well done you know this is this is really good it's it's not for us we just couldn't we wouldn't be able to distribute it you know from a, in the cinemas and i went hey that's fine this is great you know the fact that they were actually took notice and i took the fact that they took notice meant that the film was making making headlines in in the film festival circuit without me knowing it because i'm not over in the states and this is all purely based on well not just the states there's a few film festivals over in australia as well that it's shown and in canada as well so um yeah so it was just and it was funny because it was getting it was uh it was getting a lot of legs and also in britain you know edinburgh film festival um and uh, the edinburgh international film festival which we won best feature for there it's not the other Edinburgh film that's it's a kind of it's an independent feature film festival um and we won best feature film there you know it was just just really good and I but I was really disheartened the fact that there was no Irish festivals coming mm. um until one day I got the call from Galway Film Flat from somebody in the Galway Film she was the um uh, um uh, I forget her name now but she was essentially the programmer for Galway Film Festival and she was like 
I've been searching for your film for months now and I eventually got it. Will you can can we show it? Can we headline it in, in Galway Film Flat? And I was like, you know, they were searching for a Hill 16 for more, like back in those but they days. They had no it, way to contact you because there was yeah. no internet back then. Right? Yeah, yeah, well, pretty much. Like there was internet, it but was it wasn't. 2004, 2005, but I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't to the scale now where you could mm. just basically find me like in three minutes. Mm. Um, and it was a case of, God, you know, I'm posted up, you know, post uh, or post out the DVD, give us a look at it. They hadn't seen it, but they were like, they had heard all about this Irish movie over in New York, over in New Hampshire, in Ellensburg, Washington, winning all these festivals. And they're like, what the heck? You know, can we be the first Irish film festival to show it? So I was just delighted. I was like, this is great. So I sent it to them. But then there was a silence for, for a few days from Golly Film and Plan. They came back eventually and said, we loved it. Can we show it? It's going to be great. You know, this is going to be this is going to be uh, the talk of the of the festival this year. And this was this was this for me was just amazing. You know, I was uh, I was just blown away by it all, and that was just yeah. Galway Film and Flat was the big was the big one in, in Ireland for me. Well, at you that know, time, uh, it was the biggest. It is the most probably the most prestigious, most important film festival. You yeah, know, but yeah, definitely. Like I mean, you know, you can look at the Dublin and mm. yeah, Dublin would would, would is, is is way you know. A lot more commercial uh, than Galway. Galway would definitely be more indie, and, and as would Cork. Um, but yeah, that was that was the. I, I was just and hey, you, you were there at the festival at the time. It was it was a great time. It was brilliant. The showing the screening of the movie, which had been cut down by then to its current format, which is pretty sure it was the current format, which is one hour one hour forty seven. Um, was. Uh, was really well received and we had a Q&A after it um, and we just it was just really good we just got on it was it was, it was a brilliant festival Pavi Lacking was on there at the time and kind of stole our thunder a little bit because it was the critics favourite in terms of you know it was it, it was hitting all the points uh, with the critics so hey great movie so I mean I, I couldn't argue with it but we were the kind of little indies in the background and it, the one thing about the Galway Film Fan that I, that I, I noticed when I was there was I noticed a little, and you know, this was the first time the Irish audiences were getting to see this movie that, you know, and, you know, the, and, the film, and the Irish filmmaking community were getting to see this movie that they were heard of that were making this, you know, uh, making these these waves on the film festival circuit internationally. I sensed the, it's the first time I sensed the, a, a begrudgery in, 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 in some certain, in certain circles about it or you know a, a um, you know that Irish kind of begrudgery of oh who does he think he is you know oh I bet you he didn't really make it on his own oh you know they're claiming it was only made for 20 or or you know whatever amount of money it was 20,000 I think that was our claim there's no way there was definitely a bigger budget behind this um, which was kind of def was a little bit of a deflating factor for me I just uh, I was surprised I didn't get that in any other film festival that I'd gone to I'd gone to I was able to jump on planes and go to a few film festivals in Europe. Uh, Tamina was a big one, mm. um, and then Cherbourg obviously was was perhaps the one I enjoyed most mm. um, because of the audience reaction. There it was an international audience. It was the British and Irish Film Festival in Cherbourg, France, and uh, that was the most enjoyable because we sat uh, with the audience uh, or, and you know had dinner with them. They uh, listening to the the audience talk about 
the movie and what they loved about it. And, you know, we got the audience award for best feature then was just, it was for me still to this day, it, it makes me smile. It was just such a great, it was such a great, uh, it was a great way to have the film received. Do you think there's um, something cross culturally that's happening, right? So you have essentially teenagers and young people in France. Yeah, absolutely. United yeah. States that are watching and they're getting this window or this insight into yeah, teenage abs- life in Ireland. That's, whereas it may not be as, as, uh, exciting for 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 an irish viewer but for for french or north american like wow this is really interesting and look at the similarities yeah so on maybe that has something to do with could do the connection yeah. it made with the audience in, in places absolutely like yeah i i think so and it's definitely it's definitely because i re- i still remember to this day the the teenagers who were with us the french teenagers who were with us on that table at that night that's what they've said they were like that's our life that's our life, Niall Brady. That's that's me. I'm Niall Brady. You know, and mm-hmm. I I thought to myself, wow, this is this is why it's got this kind of you know pull factor because it's it resonates uh, with teenagers mm-hmm. um, across you know in in ac- across the globe essentially. So um, yeah, yeah, that was it was great, great, really good. So after that, then right, so you're 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 showing out you're showing at the Galway Film Festival. Everything is going really really well. Was there any opportunities that came as a result? Any concrete opportunities to make a next feature? What happened? And- yeah, uh, well, we were winning all the festivals. We were all the festivals. We were winning lots of festivals, um, but the, there was no offers coming through. There was a few. Uh, there was a few people who, you know, there was a few people in RT who I met, and and, and they kind of brought me under under their wing, kind of discussed potential. Uh, projects in the future that I could do for them, um, I suppose. Uh, and then there was one or two producers uh, whose doors I were opened, uh, and I didn't walk through them. And that probably was my biggest regret. Um, so there was a couple uh, of producers time. that were that had yeah. reached out to you, and you the the door was open. They were saying, "Come meet us," and you didn't yeah. walk through the door. I didn't walk through the door. I don't know if it was an arrogance or if it was a fear. I still don't know what it was. I think it's more down to a fear uh, and also a naivety. Uh, like I, I, I was still like, hey, there's mature 26-year-olds, but I was a, an immature 26-year-old. I thought there was a naivety where I thought, hey, it's okay. All these offers are still going to come. So when, the, when there was the momentum behind us, I was thinking, you know, it's fine. Like if I don't go and meet this producer... I'll go meet the other guy. Yeah, but the other guy never came. Mm. You know, so mm. I remember to this day, I still remember, I, I can't remember the name of the producer right now, um, but he had an office near Temple Bar. He had produced the mighty Quinn. He had seen the movie. He'd seen Hill 16. He loved it. And I stood at his office door. Oh no, I was walking past his office door. He'd asked me to see my next, the, the, the concept of my next script. Um, and I left it into his office uh, into with his secretary and he was at the at the desk and he was like oh, you're Dermot Doyle will you come in will you will you stay there and come in to me um, I looked at him and I said well I've got to go back to work right now uh, he was on a, he was on a call all the time and he was like will you just wait five minutes and then come in to me so I've just got to go, go to work right now because um, I was on my lunch lunch break at work and I could see it in his face he, he thought but I've got you, you don't want to come in and talk to me. You want to go back to work. And I remember that moment when I said bye to him 
And I said, bye to that opportunity. Mm. You know, mm. not that it was a, an arrogance on that guy's point of view, but he just thought, oh, okay, fair enough. You've got other things that you're, those are more important. That's okay. Uh, mm. And I remember walking down, back down Temple Bar that day, back towards this, the, the department store where I worked, thinking I'd blown that. Blew it, blew it, blew it. Uh, because he was a, a, a producer who, who, you know, who, who did well. Um, I think the Mighty Quinn was the name of the, the movie he he was in, or, or not that he was in, but he produced. But but anyway, he was an up and coming at the time. He had done really well, and he was going to produce more movies then. Um, and I just walked away. There was one or two others that I was close to um, getting deals with, but they just fell through in the last minute. And I and then and then the email stopped coming, you know, and the phone calls stopped. And you know, because there's only there's only a certain amount of time that fire burns, and then it comes off, and then because you're back to square one. Conveyor belt, right? Yeah, so you're absolutely. You're off for a short. You have a short window, then another movie comes along, and then then the big budget movies and all kinds of commercial movies and every, and then you're then it's another year. Next year's film festivals, and everybody's planning for next year, and with yeah. eighteen months, it's pretty much gone. That yeah. is the lesson, I suppose. That's one of the lessons that we would want to talk about is to yeah. really push, right? When oh, you're yeah. at that moment and to be embraced and to be open and to talk to as many people as possible. Don't be naive, don't be foolish, but and don't accept everything that comes your way, but just kind of be as open to the world and invite the world in as much as possible. Absolutely. How do we get to HBO then? So HBO Europe. Yeah, HBO Europe. Well, there was an agent in HBO. We won a we won an award in Hungary in Budapest, uh, you know, a best best feature film award in the in, a, in a, uh, the it was the Cinefest Young Filmmakers Film Festival, mm. uh, and I always laughed at it because I think back then I think young was determined a young filmmaker was determined anyone younger than thirty five, uh, I think, or maybe even forty. It was quite it was quite funny, but anyway, we were in this uh, and it 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 won it won the film festival there. It sixteen did. And uh, there was an agent from HBO. They rang me up and they say, "Hey, we're film. We'd like to acquire the, the the broadcast rights for HBO or for Hill 16, for HBO in Europe." Well, where broadcast. did he get your number? Because nobody can find you. Remember? Yeah. Well, then I they I can't remember how they found me. It was no, it was through an email. Okay. Uh, and yeah, it was through email that they found me. And they obviously got through, got it through the film festival organizers, and. Yeah, I was just, I, it was great. It was brilliant. It was, the movie had to be, they sent, I had to send the movie off and it was showed by an They were like, okay, well, send me, send us the, the M&E files as well, which is music and, 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 and uh, you know, the separate audio files. And I didn't have those because I just chopped everything together. And I was like, oh, and, you know, that showed my, my naivety at the time of making the movie mm. because then they could at least separate, they were going to dub the movie. Uh, into all the different European languages. So you'd have Polish, Hungarian, Croatian, all that kind of, you know, all these different languages that this move that, that Hill 16 was going to be shown in. Mm. Uh, they were going to dub it, but then they, uh, when I couldn't provide it, they said, okay, no problem. We're just going to do uh, subtitles for all that. Send us the script. Mm. Um, so send the script over, et cetera, you know, or, or the dialogue uh, track from it all. And they went, um, yeah, and it aired for, they, they renamed the movie in certain areas, uh, in certain zones, as uh, Secrets of, was it Secrets and Lies, I think. I know that's the, 
the, the famous English movie, but um, Secrets and Lies, they renamed it over there because it makes it made more sense. Secret Garden <laughs> uh, Hill 16, which I have no resonations to people in Central and, uh, and Eastern Europe. But yeah, being I uh, traveling in that area of the world at the time a lot myself, uh, I'd often see Hill 16 coming up on hospitals, you know, at, you know, showing at like two o'clock in the morning and stuff like that. But it was great to see there's my movie with the, you know, the Polish subtitles or whatever. And it's, and, and it's still showing like 10, 15 minutes or, or 15 years later. It's still showing 15, even today. No, it's no, sorry. Um, um, 10, 15 then, months later. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it, it had a run. It had a run for about four years after the movie made. Mm. It had a run for about four years. Uh, so it was still showing then, even when it was almost like a forgotten uh, thing in my head, mm. the movie. Mm. It was still coming up there. And it was, you know, my uh, my wife was more proud of the fact that she could, you know, turn it on in her country and go, hey, there's, there's my husband's movie, <laughs> you know, which, um, and I was like, at the time, so at that stage, I was more, the, I was kind of almost ashamed to see, not that ashamed to see it there, but shamed by the fact that, hey, I, and I still haven't made another um, movie since. Mm. And there's my movie, it's showing, it's on HBO. Uh, and hey, it's, 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 I haven't made a movie since. So it was almost like an embarrassment almost, you know. And how did you, uh, how has that affected, has that affected your mental health? Is it, is um, it... Yeah, it would have. It would have. It did when I finished Fit Hill 16 and it finished in the film festivals and nothing came about it. And uh, the Irish Film Board rejected my, my a movie that I was hoping to kind of get funding for or get um, a producer on board. Um, I can't, not that I, it, it almost like you know, that ego I had built up as this, you know, film director, film producer, mm. just collapsed. It was gone. And with that, the veil that Your I had identity. built up, yeah, had had collapsed. And mm. my de the depression really hit me, hit me strong. Um, and I would have been kind of co coming towards my late 20s then at that stage. Um, and the depression really came back stronger than ever then. And that's when I started to, um, you know, uh, look in all kinds of ways like to like you know like all like my in any kind of way to kind of distract myself from from the reality like whether it was drink or you know even drugs just to kind of keep myself away from the reality of the situation that hey i'm not that film producer I'm not that film director that i, I told everyone i'm gonna i was going to be i'm still i'm still working in that, in that department store you know my film my film is gone it's gone um, so you're working in a department store. You're, you've got films showing at HBO in Europe that you made essentially, you know, two years ago, and you're in a department store. Yeah. Were you planning your next feature? Had you written your next feature at this stage? You'd written a few, I think, hadn't you? Like you had. Yeah, I had. Yeah. So you're working in the department store. Yeah. You've you've gone through the whole experience. It was in probably an eighteen month window, right? Showing in film festivals. Then it goes on to the HBO in Europe. You ride that roller coaster and you come down the other side. Mm -hmm. And where do you land when you come down the other side? Yeah, it's just like, uh, it's just a, a complete and utter 
breakdown of personality you know breakdown of personality i uh um the depression really hit me hard and strong there um there's certain medications i could get for the depression and you know i was hitting hitting the drink but silently hitting the drink mm. um my days would involve me coming back from the department store and just drinking a bottle you know a bottle of wine uh, you know, or, or or six cans of beer, like you know, pretty much every day, and then just sleeping. Um, uh, but it was all masked. It was all a case of you know, and I was still writing at the time. You know, I was still writing projects and planning my next feature. Um, but I think the final, the final kind of kick that I got was a kick down the the hill was when when the film board rejected. Uh, I oh yeah, I made this uh, film board brought me in and they were like hey you know you know we, this hill 16 it's, it's just fantastic what you've done what do you want to do next and i was so hopeful it was almost like hey i'm i'm in you know that's the way i taught like i was naively thinking this is it i'm in what do i want to do next <laughs> hey i mean yeah which script you know take your pick because i had a lot of different projects uh, uh, lined up at the time uh, not quite scripts but projects kind of you know treatments etc um but I worked on one, which I, geez, when I reflect on it now, was very heavily influenced on, on Donnie Darko. Um, and uh, it was a movie, it even sounded like it. It was a script called Dreaming of Rocco. And this was one, and I put it together. I thought this was a shoe in like, they're going to love this. It's going to be, it's going to be a little bit quirky. It's going to be much darker than Hill 16. Uh, but again, it's going to tell, you know, a tale of a, you know, a kind of an isolated teenager and going through kind of, traumatic time and all that kind of stuff um the film board like you know they read the first they read the treatment or they read the first draft and they were like okay well how about changing x y and z i was like oh yeah okay sure i'll change x y and z um and That's i a did familiar that. story okay yeah, yeah yeah you know change x y and z went back to them great okay this is brilliant now could you do this can you change this and uh, yeah super no problem i'll change it and uh, sent it in. I was thinking, okay, this is it. You know, getting ready. I'm getting ready. This is it. You know, I'm, I'm ready to get that call. And so the whole thing was, they were they're going to line up a producer for me. You know, that's why because I had I had almost said to the film board at the time, hey, listen, I've done Hill 16. I've done all this. Uh, how can I get you know? How can I get on the ladder? What's what's going on? Like, and this is don't worry. We've got we can we can set you up a producer who's willing to back you. Uh, so. I was just waiting for that producer's call, whether, you know, whether she or he would ring me and just go, hey, you know, we love the script. Let's let's go. That's that's what I thought would happen at the time. But it just never happened. There was no the, the final script that went in. And then I got a letter from the film board to say, hey, thanks, but no thanks. It's not one for us. And I was devastated. Like, mm. you know, that's a that's a familiar story. And that happens to a lot of filmmakers. Um, yeah. Most filmmakers only make one or two films you know it takes it, it takes yeah. a, to have an extensive career but but you're the interest that it, that and the momentum was gained in the united states yeah yes yeah yeah and i had an agent in the united states um a guy had seen our my movie in new york uh in festival uh, in new york and he had seen it and he want he did his absolute utmost to get me um to get me the next gig you know, I, and he wasn't my agent, 
but he was an agent who was a trying to sell Hill 16 to distributors, but also sell me to other producers. He was a proper mm. agent. He came from, you know, uh, a kind of, you know, one of these agencies that are, that had a kind of a legal wing to it. So um, it just didn't transpire. It didn't, just, it just didn't come across. And the main reason it didn't come, it didn't happen for Hill 16 distribution was the production values of it. That was the mm. main reason. So that was the learn. That was the kicker for me. I was like, uh, you know, I had my if my sound was better, if mm. I had better focus, if I had better control of the focus on that camera, you know, that kind of stuff. So that was just, hey, that's that's what it was. There was nothing I could do about that. I, so I didn't really think about much that time. But uh, personally, the fact that I, you know, personally, the fact I, fe- I, I, t- I took it personally. That nobody was going to give me the next gig. I was like, oh, you know, but hey, I did all this. Okay, my, you know, the focus puller might not have been working properly, or the the sound was a bit dodgy. And hey, I'm not the greatest musician, but hey, I still was able to do the music for the the, the score. But you know, this is me. Like, surely there's a gig for me, uh, but there wasn't then. So, well, you know, there there potentially was, but I walked away from them. <laughs> I walked away from them, or or, or, sh- or slammed those doors shut. Like, mm. so. Um, yeah, so that kind of just had me quite. Uh, I just kind of, you know, it was not quite the collapse, it was like another collapse of uh, what I had back in the mock years, you know. It was, mm. it was not the kind of traumatic, uh, kind of you know, uh, emotional collapse, but it was a collapse in terms of uh, self esteem and being able to do or be wanting to do anything. And we all know depression is. Very, that's a huge characteristic of depression is stopping doing what you love doing. And you know, there would be months and months that go by that I would hate to go and see a movie uh, or watch a movie and didn't want to read anything about movies. Uh, I was just like, no, 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 you know, even though it's in my blood, it's in my it's 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 what gets me up in the morning now, you know. Um, so uh, so I hit the bottle, hit everything, um, and I was just. Uh, yeah, I was just going downhill fast and rapid, uh, but it was all, it was all in secret. Nobody knew it, you know. Uh, nobody knew it. Even my partner at the time, she didn't know it um, that I was going through this. Uh, it was all, you know, smuggled the, the bottle of wine in. I used to cycle home from from the town, and the, I'd go to the garage on the Navin Road, get the the bottle of wine into my into my gear bag. Nobody would know. I'd bring it, smuggle it into the smuggle it into the bedroom. So that's the way it was. Um, and it wasn't until I met my wife that that changed. She kicked me out of depression and uh, that, that <clears throat> excuse me, that just changed everything for me and changed my whole aspect or uh, aspect of life. You know, my wife at the time, um, or sorry, my partner at the time just wasn't really able to kind of realize what I was going through. But when I met my wife, she 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 was. And she realized it straight away. She kind of just, she gave me a reason to kick it. And I, I was able to kick it. And I went on it. So from there, from from meeting my wife, I, that journey of kind of self-realization and self-discovery started all over again. You know, started all over again. It took me, it took me years to kind of bed down and kind of let the depression dissipate. Um, and years of learning, years of kind of evolving my kind of, daily practices to a point where you know 
I'd be very happy in saying that they 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 don't they don't exist anymore. Like which is which is momentous, you know. And would you you never went through the prescription medicine clinical? No, I didn't. Uh, it was funny. I uh, I was uh, I I I did at one stage go through uh, uh, prescription medicine, but I remember once. Uh, I, I was I, sorry. I was going through it, but I didn't give us the, I didn't give us the kind of longevity it was meant to give. Um, and I remember because I remember once going into a pharmacy, and handing in the prescription, uh, and being so down on myself. And I needed this. I needed these um, these antidepressants. I needed them like urgently, mm. um, because I was in a really bad way. And I remember walking in. I remember not being. I, I wasn't dressed, you know, the right way. Uh, and I remember the pharmacist looked at me when I, when I, oh no, I'd handed to the, to, to the lady at the counter and my, my, my self-esteem was so low back then and she handed it to the, the main pharmacist and he, and he looked at me and then looked away and he says, no. And it was basically a case of, he thought I was probably abusing those drugs and not in a chronic need for it. Mm. And that, there I was, and from there, I was too scared ever or too ashamed ever to go back to, to, a pharmacist. to a pharmacist. Yeah. Because just because of that moment. And then, and that just turned me away and turned me and sent me back down the, the drink and drugs kind of route. Uh, and yeah. So, and I was on the prescription and it, they worked, they worked. Uh, and I did the cancel, I did cancelling, even though I couldn't really afford it. And that worked as well in part, <clears throat> It was actually when I was with my wife, um, she was the one who got me onto the counselling. Um, but it was, hey, it was so expensive, I couldn't really afford this, you know, 50 euros an hour. It was just too, like at that time, or just, yeah, it was 50 euros an hour. Uh, I couldn't afford this. And I was like, well, I, you know, this is great, but I just, I, I can't do it, you know. It, it, it was great at opening up the wound, it was great at talking about the traumas and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I just, uh, I, I, I stepped away from it. And, you know, uh, being with my wife then, she was able to put me through, but that was the initial stage of us being together. And we are, our relationship blossomed to that extent that I didn't need it um, then for years, for years then after that. So you were able to manage the mental health yeah, once you yeah. were married. Uh -huh. um, yeah, now it was still there. Like, don't get me wrong. It was still there kind of lurking as, you know, the, the black dog would still sometimes show, mm -hmm. uh, but it was only after my son was born, twenty uh, thirteen. I was kind of I was on a, a spiritual journey, so to speak, a kind of spiritual journey of self discovery, not religious, but kind of more, you know, um, uh, knowing, being more self aware, mm -hmm. and something. <laughs> it was funny. It was a uh, I was feeding my son uh, with the milk. He was on, and I couldn't move from on the, on the the couch, and I remember being in a in a kind of like the depression was kind of hovering there all the time, uh, being, and again it was hovering back a lot to the fact that hey I still haven't made my next I still haven't made a second movie, <laughs> yeah but and that was always kind of just just there and kind of you know nudging my confidence all the time, mm. and uh, I couldn't reach for the remote control so I had to watch whatever was there and CNBC was on. The channel CNBC, and on that channel on a Sunday morning, they have Joel Osteen on it. Joel Osteen is a uh, a very a huge, massive uh, 
uh, evangelical preacher, a Christian evangelical. But but he's very much a um, he's a um, he has a a, 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 a positive. It's almost like a uh, without Tony Robbins without the snake on it. You know, he has a. It's all about positivity mm. and switching your life over and looking at on looking at things in a positive way and how you what you saying to yourself. You know, it's all about like uh, the, the psychological aspects of things. Now he draws on stuff from the Bible and brings it all into it. I normally wouldn't look at that thing and the, the, the Bible element I always discard. But there was something amazing he said in that in that sermon because I couldn't change the channel that blew me away. That changed that just triggered me in thinking it's all about how, how I how I think of things, how it's all about how I approach things. And, you know, I can almost, you know, hypnotize myself into making it making a situation that I feel is bad into a good thing. So it was almost like I turned the tables on my mind. My mind had for, since my teenage years, been telling me bad things. I was able to turn the tables based on what that guy, that guy, uh, Joel Osteen had said. And from then I looked more into Joel Osteen and, you know, I realized it was, it's Southern, it's Dallas, Texas. It's, you know, you can imagine it's Christian evangelical. Um, and I'm not into Christian evangelicalism or anything like that or the Bible, but it was his message of positivity. And the psychological aspect of what he teaches and preaches that blew me away. And that led me to the likes of Eckhart Tolle and Wayne Dyer, uh, Adi Ashanti. Uh, it led me down to a road of meditation. I enrolled and trained in Transcendental Meditation in 2019. I've been doing that ever since. That is absolutely the most powerful thing that's ever happened to me from a psychological point of view. That is in my routine now. And I religiously uh, would listen to Joel Osteen's messages of hope, like his messages of positivity and hope. And almost like I, I went through a period and then my daughter was born in 2016. I went through a period where I'd listen to Joel Osteen in the morning, going to going to work. And I listened to him in the afternoon on my lunch. And I listened to him on the way home. And it's almost like a, um, a, a hypnosis, a, a, posi- a positivity hypnosis. Almost to the fact that my uh, my wife would say to me like uh you know you're almost like you're almost like him in terms of how you yeah approach things and how you're so positive about everything now. and that's just the way i see things now and look on you know things uh, ever since um, so 2016 was the big turning point when i just felt and turned the tables on my depression put it to bed in one way i've been through a few things since obviously but um, that has kind of not quite reawoken that stuff, but kind of, you know, being a bit harsh on me psychologically, but having that learning mm. of that positivity and cultivated it, I'm able to tackle stuff, stuff that's been a bit traumatic for me in the last 12 to 18 months, but has got me on the other side, looking positive, looking ahead, uh, positive, and as I say to my team at work right now, is bright and bushy tail for the future, you know, just... And excited about the future, uh, excited about my new projects, excited about new filmmaking ventures, new writing ventures. Will you will you go and do it again on your own if you have to? I will. Yes, I will when time allows. If I if if I have to, um, but my mindset is now that there are other people out there who want to go on that yeah. journey. 
Mm. Yeah, collaborate. Yeah, collaborate and go on that journey. And it's a case of back then I was just like, well, you know, tunnel vision. I'm going to do this myself anyway, so I'm going to get mm. it done. But now I'm not afraid. Now I've learned so much now. Now I'm not afraid to ask for help, to go out there and, you know, uh, almost like sell myself to the extent that I, you know, I, I could do, let's do this, guys. Let's, let me, you know, I can direct. I'll, here's the script. I can direct this. Let's go, you know, tell me who I need to ring. Uh, you go and ring this producer. I'll go ring that producer. Let's, you know, get out there. Just about getting, about getting in the game again. And that's, you know, that's what I'm, that's, you know, that's what I'm excited for. In the past, I would have almost vomited with anxiety, but now I'm excited about it. I'm excited to go out and do it now. And if it's a case of, like my next, my next um, uh, project, if it's a case of, it like, it, it, it comes from a novel that I've written. So, it, it, written but not published, but, if it's a case of it that it just gets published as a novel, then so be it. But, you know, I'm back. The thirst for the art form is has never been bigger in me. So mm. um, that's the that's the big draw. That's what I'm so excited about. Like so excited about the future. Like in that way. Good. Good. Dermot Doyle, thank you very much. It's been um, fantastic hearing about your journey. Um, thank you, Gunnar. I'm so happy that you you've made it. Thank you. Thank you, dude.